2: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show.
3: He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion.
2: He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
0: Thursday, July 9th would be the date if you hadn't been keeping track in these days. Who does, right? (laughs) You're working from home, maybe you don't really care what day of the week it is. One day just feels a whole lot like the other. Well, Whether you're right on top of it or not concerned at all, great to have you with us. It is indeed a Thursday, the ninth day of July, and here at 5.06 in the evening, Greg Roberts once again before your shell-like ears for another edition of Lifeline. Got quite the deep agenda to dive into today, so um, let's, without any further ado, do just that. It, in one of the most telling And um, certainly the final decision of this current court session, the U.S. Supreme Court today, uh, this week rather, has ruled in favor of the Little Sisters of the Poor, a charitable order of Catholic nuns, deciding yet once again the government cannot compel them to subsidize birth control. Let's get full details now. We're joined by senior counsel with the Alliance to Fest Fund. Attorney Kevin Thoreau. And Kevin, thank you so much, Counselor, for taking time to be with us. Um, this is certainly not the first time in addressing this issue. I, 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 I'm just thrilled to hear that finally, at least, while not striking down the entirety of uh, this mandate attached to Obamacare, at least giving some welcome relief to religious organizations. Tell us in the 7-2 to two decision exactly what did the court decide?
3: thanks, Craig, and it's important that you pointed out the 7-2 vote. Uh, This wasn't a a close decision. Uh, The government has no business forcing pro-life religious organizations to provide drugs and devices that can destroy life. And seven justices determined that the Department of Health and Human Services was correct when they decided that they're going to exempt groups like Little Sisters of the Poor and our client, March for Life. Um, from these abortifacient mandates that says you have to include a coverage of abortion-causing drugs in your employee benefit plan.
0: And, of course, from the very get-go, that that coverage in this highly controversial proposal that was kind of foisted upon the American public um, back in, oh gosh, I guess 2014 now, Uh, always raise questions from a constitutional standpoint as to how and why there would be any notion that Americans could be compelled to essentially provide for, uh, well, let's just put it what it is, funding of another employee's birth control. Um, And I always find this sort of odd packed into a health bill, as it was with Obamacare, to somehow suggest that this is a health measure, like we provide medicine to those that are sick or something preventative. I mean, there, there's there's no angle to that whatsoever. So from the very get-go, what was the real intention, do you think, behind um, the decision to even include this in Obamacare?
3: Well, there's no good reason to force Little Sisters of the Poor, you know, nuns, or march for life their whole purpose for being is to oppose abortion to participate in paying for abortion pills for their employees their employees by definition aren't going to get abortions and uh and so it's silly for them to make them pay for coverage that would cover uh, abortion causing pills so uh, it doesn't make any sense interestingly enough the 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 states that were challenging Trump's new rules that gave exemptions to march for life and and little sisters of the poor, I couldn't identify one single woman that would have been adversely affected by these new rules. Then not one.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting about all of this is, if we were talking about some sort of, you know, life-saving provision or something that otherwise um, absent coverage of medical insurance would cost the the end user hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe we can you know, argue that, well, there there is some beneficial aspect of all of this. But that that is absent from this argument as well. So at the end of the day, it just seemed to be an attempt to try to, to compel every one of us, in spite of moral or religious objections, to be paying for somebody else's birth control, whether or not we agreed to it on moral or faith grounds. That's
3: exactly right. And, and of course, our nation was founded upon the concept that respect, for good faith differences of opinion, are essential for a diverse and healthy society. And, and they, uh, they, that kind of respect enables us to peacefully coexist. But as you know, that even though freedom is usually a two-way street, we live in a culture now that basically believes that you have the right to force others to either shut up or go along with you what you want to do if you disagree with them. And that's, uh, that's, that's dangerous to our very way of life.
0: Now, I'm curious from your perspective. I mean, certainly this is viewed as a major victory. I'm curious, though, is this a somewhat carved out victory in the sense that, well, delightfully, this benefits organizations like March for Life, Little Sisters of the Poor, and many others who objected to participating in this on, on moral or religious grounds. Um, but in the decision, does does it provide relief for everyone every business or is this simply those who can demonstrate some sort of compelling religious reason
3: well the rules were designed to ensure pro-life and religious organizations like like uh... the little sister of the poor like march for life are able to pursue their missions consistent with their beliefs but they're also broad enough to um... to uh, encompass uh... uh for-profit organizations like Hobby Lobby or Conestoga Wood, both of which won a lawsuit several years ago against the original rules. And, uh, and so these rules are pretty comprehensive in protecting religious liberty, and, uh, and so it's not just limited to um, a small group of people.
0: So that's certainly good news, then. So, in other words, the decision handed down is is broader in that sense and and gives everyone, then, that would object to participating in this forcefully on on faith-based or moral grounds the welcome relief that, quite frankly, should have been in this measure from the very beginning.
3: That's exactly right. I mean, from the very beginning, churches were exempted. And uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't have z- exempted other organizations like uh, other religious organizations and organizations like March for Life that said, hey, um, this is just not what we do. It's not our purpose, and there's no reason to include us in here.
0: In this becoming a, a 7-2 decision, um, we, we rarely see, in fact, I think if anybody had, had laid money on this, it probably would have said, in the end, if if um, the, the right side wins out, it'll be a narrow 5-4 decision. But seeing this coming down as a 7-2, is there any sense, in your opinion here, Counselor, that the court is trying to send any kind of a message?
3: I hope so. I really do, because, uh, you know, this has been going on, this battle, uh, a long time, been up to the Supreme Court several times, and they haven't really resolved anything. I think this is the best resolution we've had to date. There's still some more litigation to be done, but hopefully this sends a strong message that the Supreme Court's not going to countenance these people who say, no, 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 we need to force folks um, to participate in something that violates their conscience and reason for being.
0: Well, certainly on the heels of the uh, Louisiana decision, this is certainly good news and and welcome news indeed for organizations like Little Sisters of the Poor and all people of of moral conscience that look at something like this and say this provision should never have been a part of Obamacare in the very first place. So uh, congratulations, a great great victory won, and uh, we appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule, Counselor, to uh, give us some background on this.
3: You're welcome. You're certainly welcome, Craig. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right, you take here now. There is Kevin Thoreau, senior counsel with the Alliance Defense Fund. Again, on the heels of this historic decision, um, one of the last decisions out of this court session, the Supreme Court again handing down a ruling in favor of the Little Sisters of the Poor, a charitable order of Catholic nuns, deciding yet once again the government cannot compel them to subsidize birth control and abortions as had been required by the mandate attached to Obamacare. The court came down with this decision on a 7-2 ruling. 5.15 from KFAX. We're going to get you an update on some traffic right now. Let's head over to the KFAX Traffic Center and get you the latest.
2: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: COVID-19 cases continue to worry medical experts across the country. The United States now heading north of more than 3 million total cases that we're aware of in the last 24 hours across the country. 60,000 additional cases accounting for upwards of some 135,000 deaths in the USA alone. And a lot of this, of course, we're we're trying to sort of figure out the genesis of of whether or not COVID was just stronger than we realized, or perhaps much of the effort toward reopening the nation, as many states did back in May and June, might have perhaps thrown things a curveball, because while we might have been ready to open back up, the virus perhaps was not. With some insights, we're joined now by microbiologist and published author on the transmission of viruses and diseases. He is an associate research scientist and assistant professor at the Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons, Dr. Dean Hart. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Let's talk first about this broader issue. I think one of the things that's frustrating many Americans today is the sense that what are clearly and should clearly be left in the hands of physicians and medical experts like yourself and Dr. Fauci when it comes to what we do and when and what's safe and what isn't seems to kind of be grappled away from the medical expert and put into the hands of politicians. Does this at all account for this major spike that we've seen here over the last couple of weeks, Dr.?
1: Well, certainly the politicians play a role. As I, I, I'm studying. I went back to school to study bioethics at grad school. This is really um, out of control. Um, and so, so the, the the situation is that we have to worry about school this fall. You have a viral particle that's approximately 100 nanometers. Wavelength of light is about 400 nanometers. So you have this viral particle that's going, nature is going to win, and it obviously is. The rate in which we get vaccines and cures for diseases is not 30. AIDS was 30 years. Vaccines, sometimes we never get a vaccine. Uh, The Ebola virus, most of those remain without vaccines.
0: So one of the troubling aspects now that we've opened up and now we're beginning to discuss either closing back down or or at the very least slowing the opening, as Dr. Fauci puts it, one of the big concerns then perhaps on the radar screen in the not-too-distant future is the notion of the potential impact on children, and while we haven't seen an enormous number of cases of kids being diagnosed or even losing their lives because of COVID-19, that doesn't mean that they can't catch it and carry it. And maybe therein lies the biggest concern. I don't know about you, but but the the average, um, say, elementary school age child even on a good day, has a difficult time remembering to wash their hands routinely, cover your face when you sneeze or cough, all those basics that we as kids just, you know, we do what we do as kids. So to put the the potentiality of further spreading this disease into the hands of young children and hope that a lesson or two on the blackboard of measures about washing your hands regularly seems to be a really big risk, is it not?
1: Well, going back to school is a bioethical conundrum. Do you have a future for the children, or do we protect the vulnerable? Or, better yet, we do school the right way and ultra-protect the vulnerable, which are typically 50 and above, and... 65, much more high-risk. So the children are attached to the grandparents. The grandparents babysit the children. So we have to open the schools, but we have to prepare in the right way. The politicians, they're arguing about should there be good uh, nurses at the school. They better do a lot more than that. There's HEPA filtration. There's all sorts of ways we can make our schools safe. Ultraviolet sterilization at night set it up like the moon mission we spent a lot of money i'm old enough to remember jfk a little bit not much i'm not that old but but the people when you're 80 years old it's a beautiful time in life to enjoy those are the ones that are at risk they have cardiovascular disease or something else and even if you don't, the morbidity of the elderly is the vulnerable, is the humanitarian question. Getting the kids back to school the right way, we got to do it, man.
0: And, you know, the challenges you point to is the notion that, you know, families like to spend time together. I know certainly as a kid for me, the the opportunity to go hang out at grandma's house and get a chance to eat things and do things that I wasn't allowed to at home was always something I very much looked forward to. And certainly if I'd had the capacity to understand and something like COVID existed in those days, I would not want to put my grandparents at risk. As you point out, this is a time in their lives when they ought to be enjoying the fruit of their labor. And instead, uh, we're facing this massive pandemic. Is there going to be perhaps a need to look at multiple layers of protections and changes, maybe at least in in the medium range to how we do life in america meaning you know do do we have to look at at separating younger people from older people on a more um, uh, almost permanent basis and i don't know from a practical standpoint how you do that but i also don't know from a practical standpoint how you avoid doing that without running the risk of seeing these mortality numbers um, in the united states spike and before we know it we're heading upwards toward a quarter of a million people dead
1: well you really do need It could be more than that uh, from from calculations that I've seen. It could be more than that if COVID is ubiquitous in nature. If everybody is exposed to it and mushrooms, you're going to get one effect. What we have to do is protect the vulnerable and have a strategy. And the politicians don't really, they're bickering over minutia. This is, we're in, invaded by Mother Nature, cooked this uh, virus, and we're all exposed to it. And those that are enjoying the fruits of their labors, as you said, they, well, that's a cool concept. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, they. everybody, all lives are equal, whether you're enjoying it or just sitting there complaining. <laughs> you got to preserve those And there is a way to do it. But the politicians aren't proposing the strategy. HEPA filtration. There's ways to make churches and bars safer. Much, much, much safer. But they're not getting into the science of it all. Masks, I hate them as much as the next guy. Scientifically, masks work.
0: I want to I have, have you repeat Christian. that because there's been so much debate on this topic and, and I've heard people trying to turn this into sort of a, a first amendment right issue that somehow being compelled to wear a mask is violating their right to free speech, which I don't really get. I might not be able to hear you as well. You may not be as distinct in your speech with a mask on, but that doesn't mean you don't get a chance to express your opinion from your learned background. As a microbiologist, masks you say do work.
1: Masks are one of the more effective things that work. There's a bunch of things. Masks absolutely is part of the things that work, and it slows Mother Nature down big time. So, masks are very important. But I hate them as much as the other guy. And is <clears throat> it. A bioethical issue, yes, you can call it a constitutional issue, but there's a treatise of government by John Locke, followed by a declaration of independence and a constitution. Basically, government's got to take care of you when it's deadly. You can't let the people that are a little bit more yeared they, they can't be left alone and just massive exposure You've, and you can't eliminate socialization socialization keeps you healthy the churches the bars whatever going to movies just what children do is the same as what a productive aging is all about you interact with and socialize and you're healthier you, the, on the one hand we have it's the science behind the whole thing these politicians are arguing a lot of Non-scientific things; it doesn't make sense because it costs too much money to make the school safer. They didn't go far enough,
0: and and, and perhaps the sad reality is you're suggesting here, in that this continues to roll out. And uh, while perhaps not surprising experts like yourself, certainly surprising a lot of politicians and the general population out there that, you know, I hear people that say, well, I'm I'm just tired of this. Well, I, I don't know that you'll find anybody on the planet that says they're welcome to more of it. But uh, while we all might be tired of it, uh, you know, the question is, are, not are we tired of, of COVID-19, but is COVID-19 tired of us yet? And clearly the answer, sadly, in the last several weeks has shown to the contrary, that there's, there's plenty of fight still left in this virus. Toward that end, medium range, from your understanding, Dr. Hart, if, if you were put in charge tomorrow... What steps would you take? What steps should our nation be taking to better deal with this? Well, the,
1: the, the whole issue of not being in enclosed spaces with the current ventilation that exists, with the current disinfection pattern that exists for our entire lives, if we continue as normal, that doesn't work. Besides the masks that clearly works, you got ventilation. That's clearly a thing that you – there are all sorts of places that have done great with with ventilation. If you have to filter it, and also there's an ozonation of the air if you choose to. You can use ultraviolet sterilization at night. You can really knock it all down, but we can't avoid the inevitable that – Nature is going, that virus is going to cross our paths. But if we can delay it, then maybe there's a herd immunity that develops. But delaying it for people that should be socializing, be they young or old, uh, you answer that one.
0: Yeah, there's there's, sadly to that degree, there's no easy answer. A final question for you. As we look at where we're at today in the U.S., where clearly we've gone from flattening the curve, as we had hoped, to these major spikes, and yet I look at other countries that certainly from a development standpoint or even from a a, a medical care standpoint are are not, quote-unquote, as advanced as we are, and yet they seem to be doing such a significantly better job at managing all of this. What, in your opinion, has been the major difference between why we're number one in the world and then you've got countries way down here, like Australia and Norway, that are doing so well? What did we do wrong?
1: Well, I wouldn't say Sweden is doing so well. They did more liberal approaches than the United States. We we closed our schools down. Sweden just tried to get the herd immunity. And what happened is the elderly died. Who would have dunked it? All around them, there's death and there's this contamination. And they really, it wasn't an impressive outcome to just let everybody roam free. It was a rather bad outcome in Sweden. Now, the U.S. has our freedoms and our rights, and it's all about an individual's right to free will in our country. That's the essence of it. Um, to, to, To mandate that we isolate like a dictatorship could mandate, we can't do that. But we can do much better than we're doing. There's there's just a myriad of ways to make schools safe, and I believe they'll open them without even making it a bit safe, and then you'll have this uh, spike in the virus now some areas in europe it looks at the moment like they got it right but in new york city in long island where i am it seems that it burnt itself out everybody got sick half the people that died were in nursing homes vulnerable ill protected and it doesn't look to me like um there's anything left up to it now will it, we get more of it again i don't think so, but maybe. Did we develop a herd immunity? Three months from now, we'll know if New York developed an immunity to the virus in the sense very few people are going into hospitals now.
0: And that really is the key thing to be watching, no doubt, and that is to look at the number of hospitalizations. Dr. Dean Hart, I appreciate you taking some... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Dr. Hart, we sure appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know it's late back there, but uh, again, we are so much appreciative of your perspective and bringing a little bit of medical reality to this issue that seems to be so bogged down in a mire of, of opinions and politics from everybody except medical professionals like yourself. Dr. Dean Hart, microbiologist and associate research scientist, assistant professor at the Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. All right, 534, we're a bit late, so let's step aside and get you updated on some traffic right now. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest.
2: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: Well, if the current state of the world in relationship to everything from politics to health doesn't have you scratching your head along with, of course, challenges in American race relations after all these years. Um, If all of that doesn't have you troubled, I would suggest you check your pulse. And if you find one, then let me add one more story that ought to deeply trouble you. I read this last week and did a double take, and I thought for sure I misread something, and then going over it again, nope. Completely and sadly accurate. A high school senior just recently turned 18, and yet still in high school, defends her work in the porn industry, declaring that she likes the positive attention she gets after a profile of her appeared in the high school newspaper. The profile, entitled Risky Business, starting a career in the adult entertainment industry, was published in the school newspaper, in spite of initial concerns from district officials that thought it might violate obscenity laws. That was at Bear Creek High School in Stockton, California, in our own backyard. I won't mention the name of the girl, though she be 18, but to tell you that she apparently ran away from home last New Year's Eve, and a great way to start the new year out, I guess, in her mind, was to begin selling nudes on the Internet, making as much as $475 an hour. And she says, and this is most telling, and quoted in this article, she says, when I first started selling, it was just for money, the teen explained, but then I liked the attention I got, being called beautiful. I enjoy it because it makes me feel good about myself. Wow. That's the insidious side of pornography, and to go into a bit of why it is So seductive, and I use that word intentionally so, we're joined now by Clay Allen, founder and president of Avenue, a sexual restoration ministry. And Clay, uh, boy, you know, uh, first shame on the school for publishing that. And then you look at a story like that and think how that must break the heart of a parent to read your 18-year-old daughter admitting apparently before all the world that she gets a sense of affirmation by being involved in pornography. And I guess that's the insidious part to all of this, that there is that temporary high, I, I suspect, and whether you're a provider or a consumer, that, that that gives you a sense of satisfaction. But like any drug, after a while, it takes more and more and more of it, doesn't it?
2: It sure does, Craig. It's good to be with you again. It is uh, so subtle, and it's so swift, and it is so destructive. Uh, as you say, both on the provider as well as on the consumer side, and it is uh, it is so subtle in the sense that it will change not only one's heart and one's mind, but their uh, ultimately their their very destiny. And you know, it's really interesting about that because um, right now, what's occurring in our world is uh, a lot of people anesthetizing or medicating themselves on pornography. It's never been higher in North America right now as far as porn use. And it's really quite sad. A lot of trauma going on in the world, a lot of unrest. And, uh, and people are completely unaware of how this is changing them. And uh, what I mean by that is it's changing them from the inside out to the point where they, they have no idea that they are being changed to receive and experience what they currently don't expect and what they presently are unable to comprehend. I think they're just dabbling with something, whether again it's on the provider or the consumer side. But but either side getting set up for something they had no idea is about to hit them.
0: And, and, those, and this those, was those really a, a vicious cycle, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. it it it's a cycle that has a a vacuum about it, and, and by that I mean that that vortex that pulls you in deeper and deeper, and you're really not aware while it's happening as to what's happening to you. I've heard it likened to uh, certain types of uh, drug abuse, where a person experiments, gets pleasure, gets escapism, gets that anesthetized feeling, as you said a moment ago, from the experience, and so they're drawn back again and again and again. But of course, each time, it takes just a little bit more of the drug to bring about the same effect. And as you consume more and more of the drug, it consumes more and more of you. And I would wonder if that's very much like pornography, that as you consume more of it, particularly, as you say, during the shelter-in-place, people looking for diversion, they're stuck at home, they, they can't go out and do the things that they normally do for a distraction or to, quote-unquote, blow off steam, and so here they are, consuming more and more pornography. And I wonder if in the process of consuming pornography, if perhaps not unlike this young lady who at the age of 18, getting a certain satisfaction at the moment from her involvement in porn. And I wonder if what's really happening here is as we consume it, it consumes us. Do you think that's so?
2: Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, on both sides of that uh, equation, whether, whether it's a provider or a consumer, the first thing that I think about, about your reference of a young lady, is uh, who in the world hurt her? I, I, I mean, I, I'll bet you anything, uh, because we see this all the time, somebody in her life has hurt her. And this is the way that she receives, as she says uh, in your quote, attention, self-worth. This is one of the things that uh, porn does, is it alters your identity of not only who you are in Christ, who Christ is in you, and so whether you are a provider or a consumer, this gets altered very, very quickly, and you don't need. Is know
0: that part of that? Is. is that part of the vacuum that I referred to a moment ago? That that uh, the the vacuum or absence of a father that's there to give a sense of value and and, uh, teach a young lady self-respect and um, self-worth, many ways in which perhaps there is something absent or a vacuum from a person's life that pornography insidiously temporarily fills? Is that what's happening here?
2: Yeah, you said a magic word there, Uh, magic in the sense that it. Spiritually powerful, what you just said. Um, I love your context uh, of vortex, because it really is the absence of father, whether that is an earthly father, more importantly, uh, a heavenly father in the person's life, um, because it certainly is absent. And that absence then causes the person to then, whether it's on the provider or the consumer side, to go then fill what we call a God-shaped puzzle piece, we all have it in our spirit, uh, with something other than God in an attempt to fill up that area that we're so desperate to fill up. And we're all we're all created with that God-shaped puzzle piece. But when it comes to something like this, there, it is absolutely impossible to fill that God-shaped puzzle piece up with anything other than, as you, you just said, the Father. And through that, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so when we do, we get filled up. But an earthly father certainly has the role of introducing that to his child and to cultivate that in their child. But when it's absent... Things go wrong in a big way when we don't lead our family as well, when we don't help one another. And you're touching on something that's enormous right now. If you really knew the extent of what's going on, it would really break your heart because you could multiply your story there about the uh, the high schooler in uh, Stockton by, by millions of times, and it's just it's terrible because not only is that person destroyed, but they destroy other people in the process, whether you're on the provider side or the demand side and it, and well, and, and subtle and, you don't even know what's
0: happening and 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 I and I appreciate you bringing that out because that was going to be my my next point to to have you address when we come back after the break and that is that so often there is this sense and it even appears in this article with the young lady out of Stockton that uh you know this is something that is innocent this is something that hurts no one else it is victimless in that sense and so where 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 be the harm and um, as we'll have clay allen answer when we come back after the break uh, the harm can be significant and it's not limited to just the person who either is providing the porn or consuming the porn. And we'll, we'll get into a bit of a, a definition of that when we come back. And when we began these discussions back in March during the, the onset of the COVID-19 virus, Clay Allen warned us that this was all going to lead to a shaking. And we're certainly seeing many dimensions of that as we've talked about it both uh, spiritually in our nation, what's going on in terms of the health aspect of this and even the racial um, angle to what has been um, sort of on the forefront of challenges that Americans are now having to reckon with, to come to face with. Some that we've tried to ignore for many, many years. And and while you might say, well, Craig, I fail to see the connection between p- pornography and, and, and that with things like uh, racial injustice, but the end result, now hear me, the end result is all the same. Destruction and ruination of lives. Let's talk more about this shaking when we come back. Clay Allen is with us today, founder and president of Avenue, a sexual restoration ministry. Information available on the web at avenue.works. That's avenue.w-o-r-k-s. Or you can call them toll free at 877-326-7000. It is completely private. 877 326 7000. A timeout, an update on traffic.
2: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: We're back with Clay Allen. He is the founder and president of Avenue, a sexual restoration ministry. Information available again on the web at avenue.works. And somebody called and said, is that like .com, .org? Yes, exactly right. So that's Avenue.W-O-R-K-S, Avenue.Works, or you can call toll-free 877-326-7000. We were talking before the break about that vacuum and um, how beginning to tinker with pornography, whether it's on the production side as the young lady, the high school student in Stockton, finds yourself or on the consumer side that includes even people listening to this conversation right now, um, it, it begins to set up that whirlwind, that vortex that pulls you in. And, and much like the vortex of a tornado, um, th- there's no escaping. Uh, once it gets started, it is significant effort to try to pull yourself out as it attempts to just pull you back in. and And toward that end, I made reference play to the fact that when we first started this current set of dialogues back in March as the beginning of COVID-19 was just starting to hit and you were raising concerns on this program as to how it might impact people with the shelter-in-place orders, you talked about the notion that you felt there was going to be a shaking taking place, and I don't know that all of us fully understood at the time back in March what you were speaking to. But, boy, it's certainly becoming more and more evident today the breadth and depth of just how much shaking is going on in our nation today.
2: Yeah, Craig, you're absolutely right. And I think it's going to also increase in intensity, um, depth, and breadth. And, you know, whenever this uh, sort of thing happens, we always have to look at the Lord's purpose in it. And there is a definite purpose in it, and the purpose is, of course, to motivate people to run to and depend on Jesus instead of the things of the world. And, you know, you were bringing up such a a tender and such a profound point uh, about that story in Stockton. I just want to touch on it a little bit more because um, especially for anybody who's listening who has had this type of experience where uh, a a young lady, a girl, is growing up, and there's this, uh, you know, it's in all of us, but it's especially magnified in, in young girls where there's this deep desire to be loved, accepted just as you are, uh, and, uh, and this gets corrupted in our world, in our culture, in our church, in our schools, everywhere. And there's not only a, a massive peer pressure for this, it, it's all throughout our culture. And so young ladies grow up this way, guys do as well. I mean, they're a little bit different with guys, but it's there for guys. And they, they need to understand that they are loved and accepted exactly how they are. And that God not only loves them exactly how they are, but no matter how they've messed up, that God provides a way for them to get out of their mess. Because at some point, that person who's involved in the production side, the provider side of pornography, will want to get out. And they need to know that they not only can get out, but God forgives them, that there is a plan and purpose for their life that God has for them. And if somebody's consuming pornography... They need to understand that they are harming the person, like in that story that you mentioned. Uh, it may not be uh, directly, physically, but through the consumption, through the payment, through the time of that uh, uh, being spent on, uh, online, or it always accelerates into something greater. And, and they need to understand, too, that there is a way out of this. I mean, the Lord will forgive them. You know, there is a profound, profan- absolutely profound promise uh, in uh, Psalm 130, it it, it uh, goes something like this. It, it, it talks to us who are hurting about this uh, topic that you're bringing up about uh, pornography, sexual brokenness, relationship brokenness, and that is to keep hoping, to keep trusting, and to keep waiting on the Lord because He's tender-hearted. I love that word tender-hearted because that's what absolutely every person who is impacted by this needs to know: is that God is tender-hearted. He's kind. He's forgiving. He has a thousand ways to get you out of the mess that you're in, and that he will, re- will redeem you, he'll re- ransom you from whatever the cruel slavery of your sin is, and it will lead to something you can't even comprehend. We call it your God-designed destiny. The Bible calls it the uh, promised land. There's all kinds of different terms for it, the abundant life and so forth in the Bible. But every single person needs to understand that uh, that as they trust in the Lord, they will be forgiven. There is a way out of this mess, and God has a thousand ways to get you out. You don't have to figure it out. What you have to do, though, is you have to respond to Jesus, and and he will help you, uh, whether you're on the provider side or on the demand side of this, because it will—I absolutely love your term, the vortex, the whirlwind, the vacuum— because before you know it, what happens, if you've ever been in a vortex in a boat or something like that, you know it will happen so fast you don't even know it hit you. Uh, or if you're swimming and you get sucked in by a big whirlwind or something like that. It happens before you even know it. And the escalation of this, we probably ought to talk some other time about the cycle of this because it happened so quickly. And to see the stages of it happen right before your eyes now, literally, it used to take... Um, Many years for this to take place, but we are literally seeing it take place now, not in months or weeks, but we are literally seeing it take place in minutes or even seconds, uh, where somebody starts to get, uh, completely compulsively, uh, addicted to this uh, type of material. And, and again, there is a way out of this. And so that's, that's the good news that Jesus has for all of us. So the shaking that we've talked about is for a purpose. It's to cling to Jesus, to run to jesus depend on him instead of the things of the world that are going to leave you more empty than when you started out
0: and and certainly as you point out much like any type of addictive behavior most people typically say oh not me i can control it or are completely unaware of the aspects that might be present if it's certainly you know some sort of a physical addiction like to to alcohol or drugs, the predisposition physically chemically in your body that may pull you into that vortex, but there are other predispositions related to pornography that can be more um in your heart and in your relationships that can unawares pull you in, and then the challenge to get out becomes ever increasingly difficult. The good news is, as Clay Allen points out, there is hope. People do break free. They do find the ability um, to to escape and to go on to happier, healthier, more productive lives, and most importantly, relationally more productive lives. If that's something that you long for and you find yourself questioning whether or not you might be heading toward a dangerous territory, and let me suggest to you, if you're questioning you're probably already there. Then, Avenue is available to provide hope and help. And again, it is 100% and completely confidential. You can call them toll-free at 877-326-7000. That's 877-326-7000. Or find them online at avenue.works. That's avenue.works. Our thanks to Clay Allen, founder and president of Avenue, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline, 6:02 on the clock. Let's, uh, they're going to get the Shepherd's crook and haul me aside for the moment. Let we'll you an update here on some traffic as we do so. The latest from the KFAX Traffic Center.